You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisendraft on WCPT 820. Welcome back. And you know I like to talk about state politics and what's going on in the nation's capital. There's really nobody better to do that with than John Nichols, who is the associate editor of Cap Times in Madison, Wisconsin, and also national correspondent for The Nation magazine. He's uh, comes on and straightens me out quite a bit. John, welcome back. Edwin, I never, ever straighten you out. You're always right on the right path. Well, we had quite a week. I mean, uh, uh, Ohio stepped up this week, as Wisconsin did recently. I think Americans yep. everywhere, including many lifelong Republicans, are just done with the cruelty, the autocratic overreach, and the hypocrisy. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy, but I think it's a subtlety. I think Americans were always done with it. I don't think Americans ever liked it, but the whole operation was always about fooling people. That was the Mm. point, right? And so Mm. there was a lot of fake, you know, a lot of fake news, fake policy, fake approaches. And the Republicans got very used to the idea that they could fool people into doing things that were against their own interests. So in Wisconsin, when we had the Supreme Court race, the big line there was that, um, you know, if you elected Janet Protasiewicz, the progressive candidate, she would govern from the bench, right? She would be, um, you know, she wouldn't look at the rule of law. She would just do whatever she wanted, right? Well, that wasn't the case. People knew that because they knew the conservatives had been doing it for years. And so they saw through that. In Ohio, they claimed that they wanted to change the way that you did constitutional amendments in Ohio to require a supermajority of 60%, which was you know, way more than they ever had before. So they wanted to change what they've been doing for 100 years, and they told people, well, this will make it more democratic. <laughs> well, how would it make it more democratic when you made it harder to do something, right? And they wanted to increase the number of signatures. <laughs> Right. They wanted to increase the number of signatures that you needed to get a petition on the ballot, everything like that. So I think what's happening is that voters are, because they've been fooled a few times, fooled by Trump, fooled by the Republicans on a lot of issues. Um, now they're a little more skeptical. They look at things with a with some doubt and they basically say, OK, I better I probably better read up on this a little bit. I better listen to what people I trust are saying. And. That's devastating for the Republicans because people see through their lies. But then here's the other one last subtlety, Edwin, which I think is really important. Both of these races in Wisconsin and in Ohio turned in large part, not entirely, but in large part on the issue of abortion rights. Mm -hmm. And in each case, you had unprecedented turnouts, higher turnouts than we've had in years. Uh, certainly both the spring election in Wisconsin and now this special election in Ohio. And so you understand what I'm saying is that both seeing through the lies and the reality that people actually clearly understand what's at stake. I think that's changed our politics and I think it's going to change it in 2024. I, I will tell you that for all the challenges that Joe Biden faces, and there's plenty, he's, he's not perfect. He's got, you know, things he's dealing with, but for all the challenges that he faces, I find it hard to believe that he won't do better in 2024 than he did in 2020. Well, um, I agree with you in part, and it goes to what you were saying about, you know, people have been told uh, lies and misinformation. But one thing 
I mean, the, the abortion question is so real. And we'll get to that in one second. But before I go there, sure. the other things that are real are the benefits that people are starting to feel from this administration and the last Congress. They're seeing, they're starting oh, yeah. to see bridges rebuilt. They're starting to see airports uh, improved. They're starting to see rural broadband. You know, their medicine mm-hmm. isn't quite as expensive. Inflation's coming mm-hmm. down. I mean, these are real mm-hmm. accomplishments. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more. I think you're exactly right. And I think, can I, can I sum it up in an even maybe subtler way? There's not crazy stuff coming out of Washington. It's useful. Like, Washington... What Biden did, Biden's a little boring, right? You know, like his big exciting thing is the vanilla ice cream cone, right? But the bottom line on Joe Biden is that since he's come in there, really, by and large, what he's doing, despite the fact that our Republican friends try to gin up the the anger and the rage machine at everything he does, the reality is, what's he trying to do? Fix bridges, make roads better, make sure that we've got a little more access to health care, make sure that if you've got a whole bunch of uh, school, you know, college debt, that you can maybe pay it off and maybe get out from under, under that heavy load. I mean, there's just a whole bunch of things that he's doing that are practical. And not all those things are for everybody, right? You know, different people affected by different initiatives. But the bottom line is that at the end of the day, people look around and they say, hey, Things are a little better for my kid. Hey, things are a little better for me on the job. Hey, things are a little better for me, you know, if I've got a health care challenge. And that starts to add up. And it it creates, I don't know if we're going to say an era of good feeling. You're a politically, you know, astute person. You know that that's a reference to a certain time in history when everything seemed to be going pretty well. I don't know if we're quite to that point, but I can tell you that we're getting to a point where people are... I think starting to feel a little bit better about their circumstance. They're starting to feel a little bit better about where things are at. And as a result, um, they are, you know, (laughs) going to vote for the party that's in charge. That's the democratic party at this point. Mm -hmm. And that's good for Biden. It's still going to be a real challenge. I mean, he's got to keep the Senate next year. Right. And that's not going to come easily. That's That's going to be very hard. So even, but What's happened, what's changed, Edwin, is that a year ago, if you'd said to me, do you think Democrats are going to keep the Senate in 2024? I would have said to you, eh, you know, if I'm honest with you, I think they can't. It's too, too many challenging races, too many, you know, red states that have Democratic senators by narrow margins, things like that. Now, I would tell you, at least in my view, I think that if the election was today, I think Democrats would probably hold the Senate. That's because amazing. Tammy I mean, Baldwin, no shared Tammy Baldwin's in great shape. Tammy Baldwin's yep. in better shape. Yep. 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 Yeah. I mean, um, mansion mansion in West Virginia is a problem. Right. And that seat um, is probably either going to go Republican or Manchin's going to switch his affiliation or something like that. Yeah, it's a problem. But, yeah. but you see, that's that's that just takes you down to even. And so if Tester, who's doing a good race in Montana, Tough state, but Tester, Brown, and Baldwin—if they—if they pull it off, and you keep your other, you know, somewhat better off incumbents, um, the deal is done. Democrats will hold a fifty-fifty, and Schumer will still be the majority leader. Yeah, that would and, be incredible. For, I'm telling you, and you might even house. get a better. 
So, what? Yeah, I think we take back the House. The Senate's always. I think that's almost for sure. I think the I think the House is, and and the House is getting a lucky break um, for a very very interesting reason, and that is that the hardcore Republican gerrymandering that they did after the census in a lot of states around the country, Mm -hmm. that's getting upset by the courts and by the voters. And so we saw what happened when you undid gerrymandering in Michigan. Suddenly Michigan became an overwhelmingly Democratic state, right? Huge Mm -hmm. impact of of undoing gerrymandering there. Well, um, now uh, you have a very good chance it'll happen in Wisconsin. You have a very good chance it'll happen in New York. You have some possibility it's all places in Alabama to pick up another Democratic seat. You start to add that up. And just on undoing gerrymandering, not the mood of the year, right, which could also be helpful, but just on undoing gerrymandering, you're looking at getting as many as seven, eight, nine seats right there. Well, in your state of Wisconsin, um, winning that Supreme Court seat means that you have a Supreme Court that's not captured. That notwithstanding the rhetoric, you have judges on it who are going to look at the facts and the law. And that means you can have a legitimate look at the gerrymandering in that state. No, it's going to happen. It is going to happen, although it is ugliness. I don't know if you saw last week the uh, uh, Republican leader of the state uh, assembly, Robin Boss, said that he's threatening to impeach the newly elected justice, Janet Protosiewicz, if she rules on a gerrymandering case. So there's going to be threats. There's going to be struggles. But I don't know. You know, I, I just think that my that these Harold are, Washington used to, you know, mayor here a long time ago when I was young. Yeah. He said politics ain't beanbag. You know, it's a tough sport. No, it is a tough sport. And it's something else, too. Um, it's we're in a situation now where I think what we're starting to see a lot of. John, I've lost you. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Good. Sorry about that. Um, I just saying the Republicans are desperate. Um, they are so fretful, so scared of losing their their power. This you know often illegitimate power that's gotten through gerrymandering and things of that nature. That they are you know they're doing wild, crazy things, and that isn't going to work for them. You know what I mean? That's not yeah, going to desperate back to the. I, I don't think the voters are going to go we'll for it. Yeah. Again, on your Supreme Court, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read, I think it was your court, that some of the some of the uh, justices on that court, now that you have a new um, uh, majority, uh, one of them, didn't they say, oh, uh, the wasn't this the the, uh, chief justice? I think she was angry at her colleagues and saying that, you know, they are. I mean, language inappropriate for a judge, calling them dangerous, unprecedented power grab. And I didn't know what she was talking uh-huh. about. And then I read it more carefully. And she was angry that her colleagues wanted to make, like, meetings open to the public and set up a committee yep, to study a, when judges recuse themselves. I mean, that doesn't sound like a power grab to me. <laughs> no, it's, it's basic good government. And yeah. you know what she's really furious about? She's furious about the fact that... Um, that the Democrats are proposing, uh, or not Democrats, I apologize, it's a nonpartisan court. Um, yep. The progressives, I mean, there are people elected. Basically, it's become partisan, I hate to say it, with Democrats on the liberal side, Republicans on the right wing side. But bottom line is this 
the, the liberals who've taken majority control of the court, with strong support by the voters, by the way, all of these liberal candidates won with overwhelming majority. What they did was, first and foremost, they said, we want to put a good administrator in charge of the courts, somebody who is not partisan. And they had a hyper-partisan administrator there who was very, very close to the Republicans in the legislature. So they removed mm-hmm. him. That, made, that infuriated the uh, conservatives. And then um, the, the liberals came up with a roughly a 40-page plan for how to make the court work better. Everything in that plan was good government. It was, we're going to have open meetings. We're going to uh, require that judges and justices on the court work harder, that they show up on a regular basis, and that when they do decisions, they turn them around quickly, not so fast that they're not well done, but quickly enough so that, you know, it doesn't drag cases out for months, even years longer than they have to be. So all of it was about an an efficient, well-run court, and that has absolutely infuriated, you know, the conservatives on the court. But here's the funny thing. I talked to a lot of people in Wisconsin. I haven't heard anyone who isn't politically engaged, right, who isn't, you know, either a liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican, who's very, very active, even mention it. I don't think grassroots people, I don't think they're bothered by this at all. And, and I think what they would be bothered by, what they would be bothered by is if this court fails to do the things that it was elected to do. This court was elected to protect the rule of law, and that is as regards abortion rights, as regards labor rights, as regards democracy. And if the court does that, I think these justices are going to be uh, in very good shape, be reelected, be, you know, whatever, whatever tests you put their way. And so I think it's a fascinating time because I do think that it fits with the whole conversations we're having here today, Edwin. My sense is that voters are just kind of, you know, getting their head on straight. They're yeah. figuring out how this, how this thing works. They're not falling for, you know, ploys and dumb lies and, you know, policy strategies that don't make any sense. And if that is where we're headed, if we're just simply getting a bigger, because more people are turning out for these elections and more mature electorate, then that's a pretty good that's a pretty good direction for uh, not just Wisconsin but the country to be headed. So let's talk about the country and let's um, let me ask you if you're a, I don't know if you're a betting man or not, but what's the over under on Donald Trump showing up for the Republican debate? Um, I think it's, it's a very good question. I think it's unlikely because. Uh, in fact, I wrote a piece about this uh, on Friday for The Nation. The reason I think it's unlikely is that um, I think Trump has no respect for his opponents. And it isn't just that Trump has very little respect for a lot of folks, but I think he looks at his opponents and he thinks, if I show up, I make them a bigger deal than they are. And so for a variety of reasons, I don't think Trump shows. Uh, I could be proven wrong tomorrow, but I don't think so. Didn't he also refuse? I mean, I think the Republican Party said you can't come unless you pledge that you will support the eventual nominee. And I don't think he took that pledge. I think he refused. So I don't think the Republicans can even let him on the stage. Oh, they probably let him on. They let him do whatever he wants, usually. Like CNN. Everybody wants him. He's good for ratings. (laughs) That's the thing. And and understand, think about this. When I was writing about this, I was just imagining this notion. What happens if Trump doesn't show Right. 
what do you got on that stage? You know, Ron DeSantis raging about woke. His campaign is going, it's circling the drain. It's collapsing. Um, You know, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott trading, you know, recipes from South Carolina. Um, You know, uh, this guy from North Dakota, Bergen, you know, the governor from out there who's no, no one's heard of. No, I mean, no, you, a former vice not, president, is, you know, who's got one. Well, Mike Pence, yeah. who no one, one likes. Unpopular no issue. one likes. Yeah. Yeah. So the bottom line is you look at that, you look at that stage, nobody's going to get excited about that stage. In fact, I think viewership is going to be ridiculously low if it's without Trump. I mean, yep. they're going to struggle to have anybody even pay attention. And I think it, I agree with you. I don't think he's coming. Yeah, I don't. I don't so think he shows up. I agree. No, it's, the whole but thing I have is, one other uh, national question yeah. for you, and I know you looked sure. at it um, a year ago. I spent time on this show mm-hmm. talking about um, the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution, and I said, yep. "You know what? These guys, Donald Trump, and several of them." They're just not eligible to run for office, period. It's like they're, mm-hmm. you know, 30 mm-hmm. years old and born in, you know, a different country. I mean, that's uh, right. Uh, now, um, what respected uh, right leaning scholars um, uh, f- have finished their analysis of 14.3 and they said the same thing. They can't run. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping that my state, Illinois, will be the first state in the country to say, yep, he won't be on the ballot. That's right. Um, and, so that's the key. The, well, you get. Go ahead. I was just to say, you're getting to the heart of the matter. You're exactly right. Because it isn't going to happen in a courtroom. It isn't going to happen in Congress, right? Courtroom's going to be too slow. The, the whole process, I think, is, is going to take a very long time, despite the fact that the judge who's got some of these Trump cases is, is moving pretty quick. Um, but. Uh, it's not going to also happen in Congress. Congress, even the Democrats in Congress, have been reluctant to take a strong stand on, on this core issue. It's going to happen in the state. And what you're going to have is a secretary of state somewhere who is going to say, especially if Trump gets, by the way, convicted on these insurrection charges that, that Smith has brought, you're going to have a secretary of state who's going to say, look, the, the Constitution is very clear. I've, you know, asked for a a uh, statement from the attorney general. The attorney general tells me uh, I'm right about this. Uh, Donald Trump is disqualified, right? And then that issue is going to go to the courts. There's going to be lawsuits and, you know, storm and drang all over the place. And it might go to the U.S. Supreme Court, and it's possible the court rules in Trump's favor. But the bottom line is that I do think that's what's going to happen. At the state level, there is a chance, not a certainty, but there is a chance that somebody steps up and just simply says, this is not to be. And um, and you know what? If they do that, even if Trump does win a court case and eventually get back on the ballot, um, the, the message will have been delivered, right? That Donald Trump has crossed the line, and he may find a judge that, that's on his side, but at the end of the day, he disqualified himself. Not, not somebody else disqualifying him. He took actions that said... Under our constitution, you're you're not you're not credible. You can't run for this office, and so it's going to be very interesting next year. And I do think um, one of the subtleties of this, one of the weird aspects of it, which I'll point out, is that my sense is a lot of Republicans wouldn't mind that at all. Oh, like Republican leadership, they'd be but they'd run against it. They'd run oh yeah, against they'd complain it. about it, 
Yeah, but yeah. then they'd have the perfect scenario, right? Their perfect scenario is that um, Trump's knocked out, people are angry about it, and they say, yes, I'm angry too, but we've got to elect somebody else, right? And so for them, it becomes, that's why I think so many of these Republicans are running. Whereas, to be honest, a lot of Democrats will say, oh, no, no, let Trump run, because he's very damaged, etc. My argument on this one is sometimes you've got to go above partisan politics and recognize that the office of the presidency has become so imperial. The people who hold it have been allowed to get away with so many things that at some point you ought to apply the Constitution. And that's true of Republicans and Democrats. It's just true. And so I do hope that the Secretary of State someplace takes this seriously and at least looks at this issue and, and raises it and, and talks about it. Because, um, again, we've allowed the presidency to become... Uh, kind of untouchable and unaccountable, even in the post-presidency, even when somebody's not in the office. And this isn't something that, you know, this is about much more than Trump. This goes all the way back to Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon in yeah, 1974. Really you know, yeah, and Bill Barr recommending that we pardon all those guys who did a ran contra Yeah. That's yep. right. Yep. And at the end of the day, if we put the presidency and, and the post-presidency above the Constitution, that's a dangerous thing for the country no matter who's holding the office, whether it's a liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican. And so, again, my argument is that this is an important issue. I've written a lot about it, and, you know, I'll continue to focus on it because I do think it's just something we need to talk about. We should take it seriously. Uh, I, but I agree, uh, at the end of the day, I think Trump will probably be the Republican nominee, and chances are he will probably be on the ballot in most places. I just think um, we also have this habit of saying the only place where people are held accountable for their for uh, their actions or even you know the only place where laws really get applied um, is in the courts is in the justice system but you know what that's right every secretary of state every secretary of state and every state attorney general that we expect the law to be applied not just in the federal courts but in their decisions when they print ballots that they have to act in accordance with the rules too and that we should just begin to get that deeper into our sense of who we are, that we are a rules-based democracy. You are, Edwin, you are so right. And those rules should apply to Democrats and Republicans, conservatives yep. and liberals, because at the end of the day, if you apply the rules, we're going to have a much saner politics. And I think you and I both believe that that saner politics is going to produce better results for the great mass of people. And you know what? It has. We have so much evidence of that. I mean, as you said earlier, this sort of quiet, boring work that that the well, Biden administration yeah. has done or the brilliant work that Nancy Pelosi did when she was there to pass with a tiny majority such consequential legislation. Um, th this stuff well, is... Look at my governor in Wisconsin. Tony Evers is probably the most boring guy. He'll acknowledge he's one of the most boring people ever to hold a high public office in America. Um, and... He's, he's succeeding on an awful lot of levels. An awful lot of levels. Oh, speaking of your guy, I want to just say how, you know, I, I'm probably like you, weird enough to actually read all, the whole indictment of Donald Trump. I was thrilled, oh, yeah. thrilled that you're the worst senator in the country got a cameo, even if he wasn't named in that indictment. It's a pretty major cameo. A couple pages yeah. in there are talking about what he did. And um, I, I can't see 
how he avoids being required to testify in that trial. I don't, you know what? I, but he doesn't, I've never heard him tell the truth ever about anything. I mean, they can raise his hand. Yeah, but know. when, when you're under, when you're under oath in a situation like that, it can, it can really go against you if you lie. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. Anyway, um, as always, it is so much fun to talk to you. You're really a great observer of the country and very thoughtful about it, John. Um, and, you know, it's just so much easier to judge than to think. And you think, and it's really a joy. Pleasure to be with you, Edwin. Uh, great to join you, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. You bet. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Okay, thanks, All brother. All right, everybody, uh, that was John Nichols, um, fabulous, uh, from the nation and uh, <laughs> the great state of Wisconsin. Um, always great to catch up with him, and we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back, I want to I, I want to talk to you about uh, censorship a little bit um, and the fight against it. Stay tuned.